Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM, channel 127. Welcome to Progress After Dark. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. We got a lot to get to tonight. The Boston Globe's Renee Graham is going to be here to talk about those two Georgia women who testified in the January 6th hearings, the mother and daughter poll workers. You might remember Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman, and they revealed to the nation how their lives were turned upside down when Trump falsely implicated them in his big lie. And finally, after all these years, a Georgia state election board has concluded the former president's accusations against the two black women were, and I quote, false and unsubstantiated. Trump has been called a liar yet again, and we're going to talk about it here because, well, shucks, conservative media is going to make damn sure their viewers and listeners never know about this story. We'll also be joined by the great Angelo Corazon of Media Matters. Thea is going to be here later on with the Minority Report, and uh, we're just getting warmed up. Thea, if you don't know, is our producer, Thea Harper, who joins us from Brooklyn. Chris Hauselt, our executive producer, runs this thing from down in South Carolina. We come to you from Manhattan. It's been a big day, guys. Michelle Bachman came back from the upside down. We have a lot of ground to cover. Where do we begin at this point? We have there's so much to cover from Marjorie Taylor Greene has been removed from the House Freedom Caucus. We're not sure why yet. The president of Belarus says that uh, Prigozhin, the Wagner mercenary boss, is uh, traveling and back in Russia and actually in Moscow. He finally made it. We're also hearing that uh, Mark Cuban's online pharmacy is going to start selling a low-cost version of the arthritis drug Humira, one of the world's best-selling drugs. This is how capitalism was supposed to work, lower prices for competition. It's never been that way. We've had a hard time even letting citizens buy cheaper Canadian drugs because, well, we're not really capitalist. Go Mark Cuban. Also, a federal study revealed that PFAs, the uh, the forever chemicals, have been found in roughly 50% of all tap water in the United States. Uh, maternal mortality rates, we now know, more than doubled in this country between 1999 and 2019. The highest mortality rate was in New Jersey. 41 deaths per every 100,000 live births. And the lowest rate was right next door 
in Delaware. Also, well, let me tell you, Mark Zuckerberg has announced his company's Twitter competitor threads signed up over 30 million users in the app's first 24 hours. Have you signed up? Do you have an opinion about this? Do you care? Do you like it, but you feel bad that it's Zuckerberg doing it? Uh, Have you had the experience of joining? Because I did it and Chris and I were just talking. It's, oh my God, it's so easy. It's so nice. It's so seductive. Uh, is it any good? I, I don't know if, if, if Threads is any good. I'm going to have to ask my friends on Tribal and Post and Spoutable and Counter Social and Mastodon. You get the general idea. All right, let's get to it. Third day in a row, my friends. Earth's average temperature hit an all-time high on Monday. That record was broken on Tuesday. And that record was broken again on Wednesday. The world keeps getting hotter. And it's very scary. Meanwhile, back here, you know, we have people who think that climate science is fake, but pro wrestling is real. And those people, (laughs) they're trying to decide if they like Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. Um, Here's the thing. A lot of times I, 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 I try to write these big passionate rants for the top of the show about a certain issue. Today was a weird day. Uh, I, I keep getting asked to go do like News Nation and be on their panels, and it's fine. You know, I, I'm getting back into that. I've I've done a million of them: CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, lots of fun. But News Nation is interesting because they're a startup, and being a startup, they tend to be very conservative. And I know I should just go do Stephanie Rule and not do it. But Dan Abrams has done this show. He asks me on his show, and he's all right. So I go do his show. My God, like we just did a taping this evening. Had my meeting with Chris and Thea in the backseat of the car going to the studio. Every topic, every topic on News Nation will tell you how you should expect the corporate media to treat our politics for the next election cycle. Everything is conservative. Everything is trying to find scandal in the incumbent. Everything is about Biden's age, but not Trump's. Everything is about Biden's gaffes, but not Trump's crimes. Everything is about Hunter Biden's fuck-ups, but not Jared Kushner's lethal deals with murderers. So so I just want to tell you the topics they sent me, because I had a good time. I was on with our good friend Scotty Nell Hughes, who used to do this show quite a bit. Uh, Scotty Nell Hughes was so pro-Trump. I used to put her on our TV show all the time on Current. She's fine. She was so pro-Trump, so fanatically right-wing, SNL mocked her, and a lot of bad things happened to her. She was very loyal to Trump. Spoiler alert, Trump wasn't loyal to her, but she's still... I'm, I'm going to try and get Scotty back on the show. She's so far to the right, it's astonishing. But these are the topics they gave us. And, and then the other woman was a, a Fox News anchor, former Fox News anchor. So it's it's the former Fox News lady, the really right-wing lady, and and me. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm shiny things confuse me. I don't even know how I got there. But the first topic they give us is, are we writing Ron DeSantis off too soon? Ron DeSantis has done so much. Can't he bounce back? And I'm like, DeSantis is a dope and nobody likes him. His lack of judgment is polling higher than he is. I mean, think about it. You're Ron DeSantis. Did you you see the gay ad? Did you see the ad he put out saying that Donald Trump is bad because he doesn't hate gay people enough? It's a homoerotic masterpiece. Have you seriously, you can pause your radio right now. If you're driving, just hold your phone really steady and keep your eyes half on the road. You want to watch it. Um, the amount of naked men. Oh, my God. The amount of homoerotic subtext. It's it's an insane thing. It's 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 both a naked appeal to bigotry and a bigoted appeal to nakedness. <laughs> but Ron DeSantis has blown it. 
He's gone too far to the right chasing the Trump demographic. And even if he could somehow get the nomination, and he could, I'm still of the opinion that Donald Trump could easily, easily not be the nominee. And not just because of all of his criminal cases, it could be the six inches of plaque encrusting his heart. There's lots of reasons why Trump might not be the nominee a year from now. And it could be Glenn Youngkin swooping in and taking it away from DeSantis. I mean, but this this Ron DeSantis could have been the golden boy in 2028. He could have hung back. He could have just let Trump go in there and muck it all up and stayed above the fray, raised more money. He could have had everyone saying, oh, I wish DeSantis had run. And then in 2028, it would be all his. But he couldn't do it. Instead, he's putting out homoerotic smear ads and counting on the fact that mainstream voters are going to hate trans children and asylum seekers as much as people who already like Ron DeSantis. They keep going too far to the right. (laughs) I tried explaining this. A six-week ban on abortion? DeSantis knew it was so unpopular, he signed it at 11 o'clock p.m. on a Thursday night with no TV cameras allowed. And didn't mention it the next day in New Hampshire. He's done. But again, it's News Nation. Oh, he could still come back. And then then we get to the the DA in Philly after this latest mass shooting over the weekend, which was terrible. But the DA in Philly criticized Republicans for having AR-15 lapel pins. (laughs) I enjoy doing this show. I really, really have a good time on all of the TV shows I show up to, but this is what they say. Progressive Philly DA unloads on GOP after latest mass shooting criticizes AR-15 lapel pins. But is there shared blame to go around? And I gotta sit there like the one stupid liberal just there with a... looking like a punching bag saying, no, um, politicians who fetishize a weapon that has no civilian purpose are not serious about crime. They're not serious about murder. They don't care about police. And they're definitely not pro-life. And then... It becomes new. Uh, oh, Joe Biden's old. <laughs> and every time I do News Nation, we never talk about Donald Trump's crimes. We never talk about Donald Trump's lies. We always talk about Joe Biden's age. This is what the media is going to be pushing. And in this case, it's the fact that Joe Biden's making his age a punchline now. Instead of shying away, he's embracing it. It's smart. It's the smartest possible strategy he could do. Take your biggest negative and make it a punchline. Because Donald Trump can't do that. Donald Trump's not going to be making jokes about his own criminality. Um, then, 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 here's another new topic. But should the Democrats still try to primary Biden? I mean, why aren't they trying to? So many want Gretchen Whitmer to run. And I'm like, oh, my God, guys, can we look? And, and I'm not necessarily against a Democrat jumping in the race and challenging Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden showing up for a couple of debates would be good for his campaign. It would be good for the ticket. But again, it's all just he's old, he's old, which means the black lady could be president. That's all it is. The black lady could be president. It could be Kamala. And we have to talk about this because no one wants Kamala president. And I'm like, 81 million people voted for Biden's agenda. Kamala Harris has the same set of policy positions. Do you really believe a lot of folks are going to think more women should go to jail for abortion? All Kamala Harris has to do is come out and say Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade. But that's not the media's game. The media's game is Biden old, Biden old, Biden old. They need a horse race. And some of them want Trump back. Not for what he does to the world, although people who own the media like their tax cuts. But Trump is ratings crack. You know it. So so then, uh, God bless Dan Abrams. Why is the left claiming the court, the Supreme Court's illegitimate? All these clips of liberals complaining why the Supreme Court's not legitimate and 
Dan Abrams, who's very nice, he's done the show many times, says to me, so what's up with that? Hmm? Just because the Supreme Court has rulings they don't like? I'm the one liberal on the panel. Everyone else is saying, yeah, these liberals, boy, they talk a good game, but they don't they, they, they don't like the court. These judges agree. Justices agree on. So there's so many eight to nothing rulings. But, oh, a couple of rulings liberals don't like. And now they're illegitimate. And I'm like, OK, um, speaking on behalf of the sane uh, viewers, <laughs> no one in any of the clips they showed said the court was illegitimate because of their rulings. I don't know any liberal who say the court is illegitimate because of their rulings. They say they're illegitimate. Because of the lies, several of them told under oath, the perjury about Roe being settled precedent, and all of them lied under oath. Kavanaugh lied about tons of things in his confirmation hearing. Judge Pickering, Renata alumnus, Booths, no one cared. maybe, Maybe they're calling them illegitimate because one of them has an illegitimately obtained seat. The first black president was also the first president not allowed to get an up or down vote on his duly appointed Supreme Court nominee. It's Merrick Garland's Supreme Court seat. Not Neil Gorsuch's. He's not legitimate. The ones who lied under oath are not legitimate. Oh, and also, if I may, the breathtaking public corruption we've all been enjoying. The things that a sane society would call bribes that were taken by Clarence Thomas that were taken by Sam Alito that were taken, if not by John Roberts directly, then let's just say the Roberts household. Uh, breathtaking public corruption we are now witnessing. That is why liberals say they're illegitimate. By this point, I'm exhausted, right? Like, I'm the one guy getting beaten up on the panel, and I know how it is. I've been on Bill Maher and other shows where there's one conservative getting beaten up. You know how it is. But, like, these are the arguments they're going to be bringing forward. And they're all bullshit. And most of them are going to be dropped. I mean, Hunter Biden, I know the most important story of all time, but not Donald Trump's crimes. You're not going to hear the media talking about it. And there's a new poll today from Politico and Ipsos that details how Americans feel about Donald Trump's many ongoing legal cases. Now, when I say many ongoing legal cases, not talking about the Trump organization. He's already paid a million dollar fine for that. Not talking about the E. Jean Carroll case where he was found liable for sexual abuse. Not talking about how he's indicted in New York State. Not talking about how he's indicted for felonies and will be more. Not talking about how he's going to be indicted in Georgia next month. Just the ones we know about right now. And according to this new poll, most American adults say they want the documents trial to happen before the Republican primaries begin. And I agree. But here's the kicker. Nearly a quarter of Republicans have said if Trump is convicted of violating the Espionage Act, Stealing these sensitive documents and lying to everybody about it multiple times. And we have him on tape doing exactly that. If Trump's found guilty by a jury, that would make them more likely to support him. Think about this. Think about the lawlessness. Think about all the talk you've heard about cops. Nearly a quarter Republican adults said they'd be more likely to support Donald Trump if he gets convicted. 24% say a conviction would strengthen their desire to vote for Donald Trump in November 2024. This man is charged with 37 felony accounts. And if he is convicted, at least a quarter of Republicans will be even more vociferous for him. And if he is convicted, only 16% of Republican adults said he should ever face imprisonment. And if he's convicted, 39% of Republicans, more than one in three, say if he's convicted of violating the Espionage Act, he shouldn't be punished in any way at all. Guys, This is what we're up against. There's no ideology. 
They're just like Trump. They believe in nothing but their own power. We can call Trump a fascist all day for his policies, but Trump's not a fascist. He doesn't believe in it. He believes in nothing but himself and his own pleasure in that moment. The agenda's fascist. (laughs) I don't know if the voters are. They might just be authoritarian dopes. But hey, hey, if they're going to be this loyal to Trump, let no man ever say that Republicans don't support dark-skinned illegals because their favorite man is an illegal who literally spray tans himself to be less white. Nice job, white supremacists. It's like you're cock-blocking your own hate. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748. We have a lot coming up tonight, including the return of Michelle Bachman. I am so excited as a comedy fan, and I'm sure you guys are too. Let's go to the phones. Hello to Donna calling from the beautiful state of Connecticut. Welcome. Yeah, hi. Um, So I am a Bernie supporter, and I know lots of uh, centrist Democrats aren't thrilled about people like me. I know. I'm a Bernie supporter. I'm a Bernie supporter, too. But I I would be thrilled if Kamala was the first woman president. So I would be all in for Kamala. And how awesome would that be to have the first woman president be black and Indian? I mean, that would be awesome. So. It would be. And again, you know, like I respect where you're coming from because a lot of Bernie supporters can't stand her. And I get it. She's not a liberal the way Senator Sanders or Senator Warren are. But, you know, what gets me crazy is every time I go doing a TV show, they're always talking about, oh, she's so unpopular as a vice president. And I'm like, who's ever cared about the popularity of a president? Who ever said Mondale's not doing very good at his job or Mike Pence? I mean, your job as vice president is to hang around and not die, occasionally break a tie and wait and see if someone dies and you open shopping malls like that's the job. I've never heard someone say that a white man isn't doing a good job of it. But this woman, I never hear the end of it. She's so smart. And I think that she is somebody who uh, will be flexible and bend and, um, you know, I, I don't think that she would just hardline it. I think she would um, be more flexible, you know, yeah. and uh, open-minded. I think so you're that's right. Just the way I see her. And I think you're I, right. I and and by the way, I think I think that she's going to be the one on point for Roe v. Wade and restoring women's reproductive freedoms. I think she's really strong on the issue, and she should be out in front of cameras every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know what? Here's one person here that loves her, so... I well, you're like the first. You are the like the not popular. You know, you know I what? Like, I, I love you because listen, you, you know, <laughs> Donna, we have Bernie fans uh, and then we have people who are fans of Bernie. But if they can't have Bernie, they're willing for it to be Trump, which tells me they're not really Bernie fans. And like, I don't meet a lot of Bernie fans who are Kamala posititive, And I get it. I wish she was more progressive. Maybe she will be someday. And maybe she will be she president. Will. Yeah. But will. in the meantime, there's a lot she can do to serve this country. And there's a lot she can yeah. do to keep Trump or DeSantis out of office. And you know what? I am a hardcore Bernie supporter. Like, he is my hero. He's my John F. Kennedy. He's my Roosevelt. What, I love him. He's done this show several times. He's, that's what, he's a, that's what yeah. Yeah, and by the way, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders might wind up proving to be the most influential American politician of our lifetime. Think about it. Yeah, I, he, I mean, agree. I would agree. I mean, he's shifted I the needle. He's he, the conversation. You yeah. know, and if Bernie supports Kamala, you know what? I think a lot of people will follow. I mean, I know that's why I followed with Biden, because 
I was very upset Bernie did that it. Bernie didn't win. And but you know, I went with what Bernie suggested, and if he recommends or stands behind Kamala, I think Bernie uh, followers will 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 follow along. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, so well, I mean, we'll see what happens. But again, you Kamala a lot more. Well, you know, I hope so. Uh, she's invited on the show anytime. And by the way, she 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 just started texting me again. So either she remembers me or she's running for re-election. Donna, thank you so oh. much for calling. It's good to hear from you. Eight six six nine. Yeah, she's texting me. I, I I kid myself that it's 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 for me. Riley in North Carolina. Thanks for waiting on hold. Hello. Hey, John. How are you? Very good. How are uh, you? Pretty good. Uh, had a comment first. I was going to call you. Like uh, I listened to you. Like. Sometimes, and you talk about the problems of the country being old white men. I'm a Sometimes, six year old yeah. white guy, you know, and I don't like hearing that. I don't think I'm causing anybody problems. I, no, mean, I don't think you are either, Riley. Riley, you know no, I think I, mean? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, I, 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 I love a lot of old white men. I hope to be one someday. But you know, it's old white men in power who I continue to make health care un, un, unattainable for most of us. It's old yeah. white men in power who continue to flood our streets with AR-15s. It's old white men in power who keep institutionalized racism going. It's old white men in power who took away a woman's right to have body autonomy. I, I, I love it. a lot of old white men. I'll tell you, I love a lot of old and white I, men. And I tell but, you, I, I got I got guys I really, you know, I like them. They're, they're good people. I, I work uh, at a job. I work with the people. I know... Uh, thousands of people I deal with them. What do you and, do, Riley? Um, if you don't mind my asking, what do you do, sir? Well, I'll call back and change my name and we'll have a longer talk. And I'll, <laughs> I'll give you some insights to what it's like to be a just, just six-year-old white guy. In general, uh, I work um, in a government sector, like a situation where I have a face of um, a local government. Okay. But I deal with, you know, being that uh, I am a white guy in, in 60, uh, you know, and and live in Chapel Hill, but I work in a much less progressive uh, part of uh, North Carolina, Trump, Trump country, so to speak. And they think that they can speak freely around me, and they do. I mean, sure you can. I mean, why not? But the things people say would would uh, really turn some people's stomachs. I, I wouldn't know. count Trump out. I wouldn't count DeSantis out because... These people don't mind hate. They don't mind, uh, you know, one thing Trump did to our country, the worst thing he did to our country, is he made these people feel okay to talk vile, disgusting, That's racist crap yes, sir. out loud. I would be ashamed right. of myself if I said these kinds of things. I'm with you. But they talk about it amongst themselves, loudly, restaurants. There could be uh, people of color around, women around. They don't yeah. care. I know. And, you know, uh, they have permission. Trump Donald Trump has given them. Every president, every president, yeah. even even the ones I can't stand, like George W. Bush, who I think still might be a worse president than Trump. But every president appeals to the better angels of our nature, talks about how yeah. good we are as a people and how good we can be. Trump's the first mm -hmm. one to show up and say, folks, I'm a big, fat, rich, fucking racist pussy grabber. And you can be, too. And there's nothing wrong with it. And that is like liberating for a certain yeah. kind of people who find it burdensome to have empathy and kindness for others. Exactly. And like I said, they, they think I'm in the club because I'm a white guy. Yeah, I know. Uh, oh, I know. I'm not in there. I'll tell you what, I'm not in their club. You know? Riley, my dad, my dad was so Catholic, went to mass all the time, all the holy days. 
when he had to retire down south, everyone just assumed, because he had short hair and looked conservative and was a big church guy, that he was as right-wing as the rest of them. And my yeah. father went through a real coming of age uh, in his 60s and 70s around a lot of folks who didn't have a filter, and he learned what people down some people down south really thought. And, and it's awful, yeah. and it's always out there. But I do believe we're getting better. I do believe the south is getting better. I do believe that the most racist people of the south now are light years better than the confederates and light years better than the segregationists and as shitty as it is i i have to believe humans are becoming more decent as the years yeah. go by i have and to. i've I got just, a lot I can't of give up uh, on this. i was born in greensboro very progressive town i love uh, i've got a lot of hope for durham and raleigh of course Chapel i love Hill. durham and raleigh i love them um, great audiences you know. too well, oh, I want yeah. to thank you, Riley. You you helped remind me to have some faith in old white guys. I don't think you're old, but um, you know, like I, I've I I I I always want to try to be consistent about it because old white men are the one group that everyone's allowed to hate, and you know, there's plenty of great old white men out there. And uh, as I said, you know, you got Bernie Sanders, Paul McCartney's eighty, Martin Scorsese's eighty. So I, I I'm start, with you. you I want know? to be. Yeah, yeah. And, thank and, you so much. God bless. John. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Thank you, Riley. Uh, quick break. If you're on hold, please don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. We're at 866-997-4748. I'm so excited to welcome Renee Graham back from the Boston Globe. We're going to talk about her amazing piece about those two Georgia poll workers who have been completely exonerated from Donald Trump's lies and allegations and a bit about the Supreme Court as well. This is Progress After Dark. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. I am so thrilled to welcome uh, Renee Graham. She's an opinion columnist and associate editor for the Boston Globe's op-ed page. She writes about, I mean, everything. LGBTQ issues, police misconduct, race and racism, gun violence, gun reform, and of course, politics. But she recently wrote a very inspiring story about Ruby Freeman 
Anne Shamos, who you will remember as the mother and daughter Georgia poll workers who became very famous about a year ago this week when they testified about their experiences before the January 6th commission. They were targeted by the former host of Celebrity Apprentice Donald Trump and his big lie. They were persecuted for uh, over a year now, over two years now, and everything Everything that the big lie has been about has been turned and weaponized against these two women who have been persecuted for the crime of telling the truth. Renee Graham has a great piece. Two Georgia women, collateral damage of Trump's election lies, are finally cleared of wrongdoing. What a pleasure to welcome Renee Graham to SiriusXM. Thank you so much, Don. Happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you and thank you. I'm such a fan of everything you do. And I love this piece because, uh, again, I turn on my mainstream liberal media, right? I turn on my corporate media and I see Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. Here's some Coke. Uh, is that Hunter Biden's Coke? I don't mm-hmm. see anything, anything about this complete exoneration against these two innocent black women who are patriots, who chose to work for democracy in the state of Georgia. And they've been completely exonerated by the Georgia State Election Board, which essentially, am I, tell me if I'm wrong, called Donald Trump a liar. That's absolutely what the Georgia Election Board did. They said that the accusations were, quote unquote, false and unsubstantiated, which most people knew. The people who were spreading the lie knew that. But this is why I call them collateral damage, because at that point, you know, in December of 2020, Donald Trump and his minions were willing to do anything they thought possible to swing the election their way. And they kind of just plucked these two women out of all these Georgia poll workers. And I think they were targeted because they were black women, because black women um, represent the demographic that voted against Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020 in the greatest numbers, by the greatest percentage. And so I think it was very particular that they picked them out, but they essentially took these women's lives and put it on tumble dry, you know? They caused, as as Brad Raffensperger, the uh, Georgia Secretary of State, said, tremendous harm to these women by accusing them of having fake ballots and scanning them. And Rudy Giuliani saying that you know they were exchanging USB drives like they were vials of heroin and cocaine. Yeah. And of course, let's not lose the racist trope in that. You know, One more this time, yes, yes. I got to stop you on that. Giuliani came out <laughs> and was comparing them trading flash drives to them using illicit drugs because they're black and from the South and no one said anything about this. And Giuliani was still allowed to go on TV and pretend to be a lawyer. I'm so sorry, but right. you're enraging me. Go ahead. And, and you know, let's just be clear. They weren't even exchanging USB drives. They were exchanging um, ginger mint. That's what passed between those women, a mint. And he turned it into this you know deep, nefarious thing. And it, it really ruined these women's lives. And I don't think that can be overstated. When you had Lady Ruby Freeman talking about she didn't want to go to her local grocery store because she feared someone would say her name out loud. And she talked about how proud she'd always been of her name, Lady Ruby. She didn't want that. You know, it was absolute hell for these women. And when it was all over, of course, no one apologized. Nobody said we were wrong. They just moved on like nothing happened. You know, I was a bit surprised that Brad Raffensperger himself came out and defended these two women. I, I really was. I'm not surprised anytime Donald Trump attacks black women, because you're right. That is the group he most consistently goes after. Unless it's Michelle Obama. He's terrified of her. 
But Brad Raffensperger has been a pretty scared cat for the last couple of years, ever since he was on tape with Donald Trump trying to I'm sorry, his his um, he was on tape in the in the infamous recording where Donald Trump is trying mm-hmm. to convince him to commit election fraud for him. Raffensperger has been caught in the middle like so many Republicans who try to, you know, commit the sin of telling the truth about things. Uh, were you surprised to see him going to bat for these women and saying knowingly false allegations, risking the wrath of MAGA once more? Yeah, I don't I wasn't surprised at all. I think what Raffensperger has done and what he's done since the infamous phone call with with Donald Trump is defend the sanctity of Georgia's election in 2020. So, you know, he got yanked into this the same way that uh, Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman did. So I think it was very important that he came out and said what he said. And he knew it. He always knew that that election was clean, that that election was fair. So to sit there and essentially to get up there and say that these were false claims and these election workers who were so important to our democracy that they were harmed is a travesty. So I think it was it was very important that he did it. And I wasn't surprised at all. Can I ask when the Georgia secretary of state says that um, knowingly false allegations made against these election workers have done tremendous harm? Uh, I think it's great. He's telling the truth that they were knowingly false. Well, what does he mean by tremendous harm? What exactly did this mother and daughter, this pair of civic volunteers have to endure for doing their jobs and telling the truth? You know, they there were death threats. There were it was racist invective. They were harassed. This went on and on. You have to understand how many times Rudy Giuliani had his their names in his mouth and he was disparaging them every single time as mm. criminals, as people who were trying to thwart the will of the people and to overthrow an election to throw it to Joe Biden. And what gets me about this, what was so painful about this is, you know, with Shea Moss, she'd worked for in Georgia elections for 10 years. She loved the job because she had grown up hearing from some of her older relatives how they could not vote. And so it was so deeply meaningful to her to be able to be a poll worker, to work at these elections, to enable people to exercise their constitutional right to vote. And Mm. it was turned against her. She quit the job she loved, the place she had worked for 10 years, because she could get no peace. Wow. And, you know, if you remember their testimony, the pain that these women were feeling, you know, and how much they were used as pawns for Trump's lie. It, it was yeah. it was really painful. And, and it, you know, and they've been exonerated and all that. But it doesn't get back where you were. You're not who you are. No. And, and again, now, the, air, the, the, the airwaves, the, the airwaves and the podcasts and the AM radio shows and the right wing cable news that spread the smears about these women will never cover the story about their exoneration telling the truth about these women i mean the lie stays on the screen and the truth maybe some folks hear about it if they read your column i mean how does it feel you know if you introduce yourself say i'm shay moss and someone sit there go why do i know that name where do i know you from and then it takes you right back where you were so they never really escape it of course their exoneration is important but they can't they'll never be where they were before December of 2020, when Rudy Giuliani began to to sow this lie to help Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, you you actually bring up one of the most powerful quotes um, when Ms. Freeman said, do you know how it feels? She said this during the January 6th hearings a year ago. Do you know how it feels to have the president of the United States target you? And you do an amazing thing, Ms. Graham, in this piece after that. You bring up a number of people 
who really do know exactly how it feels to have the president of the United States go after them to try to destroy their careers, destroy their privacy, mm-hmm. and, and in many ways um, threaten their safety. Uh, you, you mentioned Christine Blasey Ford, who we forget got so many death threats. You mentioned Fiona Hill, who again mm-hmm. got fired for telling the truth. Um, you know, Marie Yovanovitch, the former ambassador to Ukraine, because she was getting in the way of his corruption. Um, mm-hmm. it, I want to thank you for just reminding us of these Americans who weren't trying to be heroes. <laughs> they weren't trying to be crusaders. They were literally just trying to do their jobs and tell the truth. And for that, they were pilloried. By you know, it's like the, the, the worst the, thing the worst you can cowards. do to Donald. The worst thing you can do in Donald Trump's world is to do the right thing. That's why they got pilloried, because we know what Donald Trump does to his supporters who then aren't supporters. We know what happened to Jeff Sessions when he was AG. But these are people who were just plucked out because they sat back and said, no, what he's doing is wrong. He's doing it in front of me and I need to say something about this. And that's what they were punished for. But I think what happened with Shane Moss and Ruby Freeman was even worse because they weren't in the administration. You know, what happened to them is very much like what happened to Christine Blasey Ford, although, you know, she did come forward. But they were normal people like Christine Blasey Ford had to move out of her home with her family because it was no longer safe to stay there. Like this is what Donald Trump's Donald Trump does to people's lives. Just amazing. I did want to ask you, you know, you write beautifully in the piece. How does one recover after being attacked by the president? Does that person ever feel safe saying their name in public or do fears of reprisal remain too great? Can someone ever feel whole again after her life and reputation have been sullied because a mean, insecure man refused to accept the will of 81 million Americans? I I know that I hope these women sue Rudy Giuliani and the rest of them. But how likely is that? I mean, they are suing Rudy Giuliani. They are suing him. Um, Oh, great. Yeah, but they they absolutely are suing him. But, you know, they've been having lots of problems getting people on his side to cooperate and getting paperwork that they need. You know, Giuliani is doing what Trump does. He's trying to drag this out and just wear them out and hoping they'll just drop out of the game at some point. You're right. But it's not a game to them. You know, this is this is all they have left. This is all they can do. You know, it is that thing that, you know, there's, there's an old line. You can you can get back anything except your good name. And even with the exoneration, I don't know that they ever get that back. No. And no. and that's really tragic. These women did not deserve this. We talk all the time about how consistently black women keep saving democracy. And it's heroic and it's fun to talk about. But we don't see the human cost and how intensely painful that can be, especially for these two black women on the front lines of democracy. And that's exactly it. And I, and I thought it was so good that uh, Representative Benny Thompson from Mississippi made that point. You know, mm. he made it clear that these women are the guardians of democracy. They're the backbone of our elections. And that's the thing for these women who believe so deeply in American democracy and the electoral process to, to be held up as enemies of democracy, of people mm. trying to waylay a fair election, really just cut them to the quick. You know, that's the piece of it. It's like they, their love of this country and democracy was turned against them. Yeah. 
ooh, I'd love to see a certain Democratic president give these two ladies a medal sometime. Just putting that thought out there. Um, oh, uh, boy. <laughs> Ms. Graham, while I have you, I, I want to know your I'd love to know your thoughts on the Supreme Court uh, ruling last week that affirmative action should stay in place for mediocre white students at Harvard who are legacies. Um, really big ruling that affirmative action for white people will remain safe. And of course, John Roberts saw fit to point out that affirmative action for black people in the military will remain safe because, you know, cannon fodder. Um, I'm still wrapping my head around a Supreme Court that can say discrimination is bad on a Thursday if you're Asian Mm -hmm. and then say discrimination is good on a Friday if someone's gay. You know, this is this is the court we're living with, isn't it? I mean, it's contradictory. It's hypocritical. It makes no sense. What the the affirmative action decision surprised no one. That doesn't make it any less horrible, you know, Um, and the reasoning doesn't hold up. It simply doesn't. It reminded me very much of Shelby, uh, Shelby v. Holder, which was the uh, decision in 2013 that effectively, you know, gutted the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. The idea that somehow, oh, no, we're now a race blind society. We're OK. We don't need these protections anymore. I don't need John Roberts telling me racism is over. OK, that's not happening. But that's what they keep trying to do. No, that's we don't it. need these protections. We don't need these checks from from the government because we got it right now. We're good. We're a race blind society. So we don't need any of these things anymore. And we can all just sort of go along and be happy. And we know that is not how America has ever worked. Yeah, never. And I, I love that you said that as well, because The New York Times had an article about the tragedy of John Roberts. You tweeted tragedy implies some terrible misfortune has befallen Roberts that he can't rectify. His willful inaction has shattered the court's credibility. This is a disgrace of Roberts' own making. And you're exactly right. And you're exactly right that it was 10 years ago. They said, hey, 10 years ago next month. Hey, black president, no more racism. Let's get the Voting Rights Act. Uh, uh, A race conscious, a Cutler conscious court would say, hey, let's be fair and have preclearance rules in all 50 states. Not just the ones that had a problem with segregation, but instead they said, no, no more racism. And yeah, 10 years, almost to the month, they do the same thing, gutting affirmative action. So, you know, it was, you know, there was was already a blueprint in ways for this when you look at what happened 10 years ago. And, you know, what happened again with affirmative action, I think it's, you know, but in between that and the student loan decision, um, it was everything. It was just a terrible session. It was really, really that last those last few days were just yeah. cutting. I mean, it, you know, Sonia Sotomayor said today the court for the first time in its history grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. They literally came out and said, you can pretend that Jesus hates gay people as much as you do and deny mm-hmm goods and services to taxpaying citizens. I mean, it just looks like it's going to be a mess of sanctioned bigotry for decades to come. It's just it's absurd. If this isn't the most slippery slope ever, I don't know what is. You had a great line, though. You said quite a day for every white person who ever said, I don't see race when what they meant is they refuse to acknowledge racism. 
I, I love a quote, and I have to tell you, the older I get, the more I hear my fellow Caucasians talk about, well, I'm, I'm colorblind. I, I, there's, I, don't, I know one line of one Martin Luther King speech I can quote. I don't see race. <laughs> it's you know, always I have, I a way of saying say it all that the they're, time. they're blind to racism. They, they don't see the injustice. They are wearing rose-colored glasses, and it's a very convenient, comfortable way to be race-blind. And I've, I've promised myself that the next time a white person says that to me, and, I, and, I, and they're always well-intentioned when they always, say it, yeah. that I'm going to say, what do you mean by that? And just see what they have to say. Like They say it as if it's a contained statement. Well, mm-hmm. I don't see race. And you're supposed to go, well, you know, here's a cookie. I want to know what they mean by that. Yeah. Because what I mean, else don't they see? When 43% of white Harvard students are legacy or athletes, or related to the staff, or children of donors, 43% of all white Harvard students, <laughs> that's institutionalized racism in action. And legacy students, 80% right. are white. Yeah. If that's not the affirmative action, I don't know what it that's is, it. but you simply get in because your daddy went there, or your mother went there, or your grandfather. That's why you get in. Merit that's free. it. Or you write a big check like which is how jared kushner got into harvard you have a parent write a big check and then suddenly you get to have harvard on your resume yeah (laughs) and that's fine but again john roberts kept affirmative action for white people and he kept affirmative action for black folks in the u.s military it's you know and 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 that's not no not the military has been a hero on affirmative action for decades they have filed so many counter briefs in court the military knows that Mm -hmm. their readiness is 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 heightened by having a more diverse candidate pool right and they don't they don't mind you know black men and women dying (laughs) for their country but they don't want them to attend their schools it's really that simple um, I want to ask you about another really quick before I lose you in our final couple of minutes. You had a column in the Globe about Nikki Haley. Uh, I, I, I guess she's running for vice president, but you talk about how her lie about returning America to a simple life is pretty much just easy listening Trumpism and and toxic MAGA nostalgia. I, I whenever I hear one of these people talking about a simple life when things were in the good old days, I, I'm always like, when was this and who was it good for? Well, I, you know, I think that what gets me about there's so much that gets me about Nikki Haley is that she knows that that's a damnable lie. She knows that what her parents went through in this country when they came here from India and they settled in a small town in South Carolina, they went through pure hell because they didn't look like everyone else around them. And she talks about, you know, the police showing up when she and her father at a little fruit stand buying produce. That's not that's the America she wants to return to, which, oh, by the way, it sounds a little bit like the America of today. That's the America she wants to return to. But she knows she's playing to the cheap seat. She knows that she has to sound like Donald Trump, but deliver it with a smile. Make it folksy. Make it a hallmark card. And people won't hear the racism and the delusion behind that. That's the Tim Scott argument, though, isn't it? I mean, tell this news camera, oh, I've been pulled over plenty of times just for driving while black. And then tell this news camera there is no racism in America anymore. It's just whatever suits because the base is never going to call you out for hypocrisy. Right. But they're going to deliver it with sort of less belligerence than, than Donald Trump would say it. And then people are supposed to go, oh, no, he's nothing like Trump. It's like, no, he's exactly like Trump. He's yeah. just Trump light. 
I got to tell you, it's so amazing to have you back, Ms. Graham. Uh, please, please come see us anytime. This platform is always welcome. I love your articles. Renee Graham's new piece in the Boston Globe is Two Georgia Women, Collateral Damage of Trump's Election Lies Are Finally Cleared of Wrongdoing. Ms. Graham, what is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? I have a newsletter, Outtakes, that's out every Thursday, uh, bostonglobe.com slash outtakes, one word, um, Boston Globe. And I am remarkably still on Twitter, R.Y. <laughs> Graham. <laughs> yeah. The few, the proud. Thank you so much for coming back on our show, Ms. Graham. It's always a pleasure. Hope to have you back again soon. Love being here. Thank you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So by now you've heard about Meta's new microblogging app. It's called Threads, which is also the name of the scariest movie about nuclear war I've ever seen. It's British. But this new thing is really emerging after Mastodon didn't do it, after Post, after Spoutable. This thing is actually threatening Twitter's lock on politicians and pundits. As of this evening, more than a quarter of the 535 members of the House of Representatives have already made accounts. More than 100 are Democrats, about three dozen House Republicans, about 10 Senate Republicans. Kevin McCarthy already has a profile up on threads. Uh, So does Steve Scalise. So does Ted Cruz. And half a dozen Republican presidential candidates have joined, including Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence. Within 16 hours, this Instagram-linked app was downloaded more than 30 million times, making it the most rapidly downloaded app of all time. Twitter's already threatening the Sioux because it's a copycat. What could possibly go wrong? Well, let me welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests. Angelo Carasone is president and CEO of Media Matters, which is more than a nonprofit organization, more than the United States premium media watchdog. It is a force of good calling out bullshit. Angelo is an authority on right wing extremism, and he's a always been a go-to resource for journalists writing about fake news and the ways tech platforms are addressing the issue. Angelo, welcome back to SiriusXM. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. Most Twitter competitors, as you know, have really struggled to try to to try to try either match uh, the features or the bipartisanship of Twitter. Yeah. It seems like Threads is really being able to do both so far. Yeah, and let's just put some numbers on it. I mean, Twitter has very broadly, but like, you know, I'll be generous uh, in the numbers, about 65 million users in the United States. Um, Threads, by contrast, already has 30 million. Already. <sighs> already. Um, and, you know, you mentioned some other competitors. One of the ones that people have really been enjoying recently, Blue Sky, has 180,000 active users. 
180,000. Yeah. Uh, they have 1.2 or 3 million on a wait list, but they don't even have a quarter million users yet. And so put aside the value judgment side of it, what made Twitter fun was the interactions um, yes. and the fact that you could reach a lot of people or have the potential to reach a lot of people and um, and the right people, not just a lot of people, but as you were given the intro, you'd mentioned the, just the sheer number of elected officials, right, uh, that had yeah. joined the platform already. That was one of the original appeals of Twitter is that you could, in theory, talk to anybody because they were there um, yes. and they were accessible. And so if we're just thinking about it from like those metrics, not, you know, some of the others, but like those metrics, the scale, the size of it already, the fact that it works, um, that it's yeah. a, uh, the getting on board, it has very low friction. Um, and the, the quality of the users so far, and we're talking less than 24 hours into this thing. Sure. It, it is really different than the others. And I think that it, yeah, it's really different than the others for better or worse, right? Um, monopolies are bad uh, and it is Facebook, but um, this is different. <laughs> and we yeah. have to be honest about that. And uh, it does have real potential. Well, I mean, I, I think one of the most tragic things about Twitter, and we can talk about this all night, is that um, uh, I think the worst thing that Musk ruined was how journalistically viable Twitter was. This is a place you could go to for verified yeah. sources who were who they claimed when there was breaking news, be they pundits, be they journalists, be they comedians, or be they lawmakers around the world. This this digital town square where every journalist is is got a profile and every state leader has a profile. They've got to prove their identity and credentials. Now, you know, the verified feed is a place where guys who can't spell the word your call you groomer. And it really yep. just I've been saying that Twitter feels like a mob restaurant being burned down for the insurance money. <laughs> it's so true. That's such a good example. And I think your point is is very real. Like it actually it was a place where not just journalists shared ideas and information, shared norms, criticized each other. You know, there's obviously a little bit of like media naval influence, naval gazing going on. But that's a good sure. thing when you're a profession. You have to have some standards. But mm -hmm. it also was a place for news gathering and news making. And it's very personal for me. Like I. When on the day that Donald Trump announced his can, uh, campaign back in 2015, um, I was on Twitter as a, a random Twitter user. I was a Twitter user. I reported to the best extent that I could that Donald Trump had hired paid actors. That was the guy. Yeah, that was um, true. It was Rachel Maddow. It was Rachel Maddow who I actually remember. saw the tweets and was like, "This is. I wonder if this random dude on Twitter is right. Um, let's let's pull the research that he's been posting." and actually like verify this and yeah. that would not happen now right because it, to your point it's just too wild chaotic accessible if they're even there they're certainly not thinking about it as a potential sort of catalyst for actually producing a story and there's so many examples of those that, that one's personal for me because i i saw how tweets and information and kernels of information turned into actually verifiable news right. um and that happened all the time, every day on Twitter. And yeah. there's no place like that right now. Um, Think about so the Arab Spring, it, Angelo. Yeah. Think about Arab Spring and how that revealed what the promise of this platform could be. Yeah, it, it is. It was a real loss for a profession, for 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 an open society, for democracies. Um, it really was it, it was a bummer, uh, you know, when what what, what and, and actually quite destructive for when Elon Musk didn't just take it over and break it. But it, it, it sort of turned it into something that became an engine of extremism and radicalization. He used it as a mechanism to not just 
take away. So my point is that the effect is actually amplified because he didn't just take away something that was good, that helped buttress and reinforce the parts of our society that work, the things that are good, journalism, democracy. But he actually then not only do you lose something, but he then also added something by ratcheting up the extremism and using that tool as an engine to ratchet up extremism, ratchet up and help connect otherwise, you know, otherwise disconnected individuals that are on the edges and, um, you know, and turn up the temperature on hate. And that so you, you that effect is, is amplified because he, he did both. Axios today quoted one unnamed senior House Democrat who described Twitter as an unrecognizable cesspool of trolls, fake accounts, misinformation, racism, anti-Semitism and antagonism. And that pretty much sums up what my blue checkmark feed looks like right now. I, I was a bit surprised, though, uh, not not that Elon went back on his word, but Mr. I hate censorship. We've already talked about how he doesn't mind censorship if the right European dictators ask him to do it. But now after this weekend, he's trying to limit how many tweets a user can read each day. That's going to make the site unusable for any kind of political communications. Without a doubt, because especially because the moments of the most intense activity center around important events or events of major intrigue and interest, just like you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, people would tune into CNN when there was something happening because they needed to sort of have that 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 sort of shared understanding. Um, Twitter's consumption spikes at critical moments. Um, obviously, yeah. even most recently with us during Black Lives Matter and those protests, those are important for connecting local people to uh, to demonstrations and events and and actually creating buy-in and helping organize and. When you limit the tweets there, you don't just affect the user experience day to day. You actually take away what is important catalysts for social change, for for fights around justice and fights against injustice. It's uh, it, it is. I think in his mind, he's going to try to move people into becoming paid users. But yeah. That just <laughs> like. Uh, I think the news industry showed us that people aren't going to pay. Um, and uh, like that's nope. like that's just not going mean, to happen. And I think the, the kind of people who would donate to Donald Trump will give Elon Musk eight dollars a month. But, yeah, it's sure. it's how much you'll pay for what you used to get for free. Absolutely. And yeah, I just I don't see do how it. he's going to be able to make forty four billion out of a bunch of racists who can't spell your giving him eight dollars one at a time. I, I just yeah, don't yeah, see it happening. Yeah. That is correct. And I, I think, you know, the the part about Elon Musk that it, when he originally was trying to buy the company, it, it was a little bit of a part, an undercurrent of the story, but sort of got glossed over is he is unlike other people at his level of being billionaires. Um, uh, he is like very uniquely leveraged. Um, uh, the majority of his leverage at the time when he bought the company, half of it was already he already put up almost all of his stock as leverage for loans for other investments. He put yeah. 40% of all of his stock up as leverage for his Twitter acquisition. So the majority of his wealth was actually used as collateral for loans. Um, he does have a cash flow problem. It's like, yes, he is a billionaire. He's super rich, but he has to keep borrowing money to pay it. And yeah. it, it, he will, it will run into sort of a death spiral in some ways. He'll have to keep subsidizing it to keep it going. But the more you lose liberals and other influences and decision makers, the less liberals there are to own there and the less fun even his acolytes will continue to have in wanting to pay him $8 a month because that's part of the appeal to them now is they get to stick it 
to people like you, right? That had a blue check mark, and they're like, "Look, I am now one of you. I yeah. get to have a blue check mark, and oh, you I don't." And um, when you're not there anymore, like, why would they give eight dollars to like troll you? It's just not worth but it. Now, and, and now a blue check mark has become like the mark of the beast. You see all of these liberals with blue check marks putting in their bio, "I didn't ask for this. Don't come after me," because <laughs> the tide is completely turned. I don't get to yes. see what Rob Reiner said anymore when I go to my blue check mark. It's just an anonymous guy who's not verified, who's not showing his name, not showing his face. They are still able to be as cowardly as they want, but they gave a billionaire eight bucks before his cage fight. Um, yeah. I, I got to ask you a silly question. Uh, um, I'm not a fan of uh, spreading conspiracy theories, but what do we make of who gave Musk the money to buy the site? I mean, you know, if I was a Saudi royal family and i wanted to disrupt the global public square i would let elon musk do everything he could to make the place where we all go to check the facts be an authoritarian hellhole absolutely i mean um yeah it seems like it's by design i mean he's fucking it on purpose you think without a doubt well i do i do think i do i think in his mind he is he is he is so i think that if you go back and watch it you can see the radicalization even in his own twitter usage you know part of what what like we've yeah. seen with mass shooters and other violent instances when people go back and they look at their their five or eight year internet histories and say wow look how much it changed how much worse it got over time we did that analysis and you can actually see how much elon musk behavior changes from his Twitter usage over the years. Really? Um, it, yes, you, no, you really can. I'm not saying, oh, he was wonderful a decade ago and all of a sudden, no. But the the instincts, the impulses, the desires, his own consumption habits, who he chose to engage with, the increasing extremists that he would engage with, mm. um, the more and more uh, <laughs> venom, uh, he became himself fully red-pilled. And, uh, and I think to an extent, you know, he is doing it in part on purpose. Um, and in part because his benefactors, as we've seen, have made it pretty clear that this is perfectly acceptable and a good thing. And um, he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have to worry about any consequences. He had to sell or at least give away quite a bit to get those resources, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's one of the few major players, right, that can somehow manage to play in China without enormous retribution because he basically just gives them anytime they have a demand. He never it fights or resists. And I hate to put some of these other he's Trump. individuals. He's Trump. He, right. That's it. I'm like, you know, and at least other companies sometimes occasionally draw lines or be willing to, you know, bend the lines a little. He's basically like, whatever you want, you can have it because I, I haven't adapted my supply chains. You know, some of these other manufacturers at his level years ago were like, we need to build alternative distribution systems and alternative production facilities because it's uns- right. at some point we're going to, you know, reach a point where some of these third parties that we rely on are going to make us do something that we can't do um, or won't do. And then our company will be destroyed. Um, so we have yeah, to build right. an exit oh. ramp. He hasn't built an exit ramp. He didn't purposely didn't do it. So I, I'm not surprised. And I, I don't trust the investment money uh, around it at all. Um, I think we've seen how that played out in the context of, say, the alternative golf uh, oh. uh, that they tried to build. Thank right. You. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, and let's not forget that, that somehow the Murdochs are always touching this. They were right in the middle of that LIV thing, uh, which That's is right. that alternative golf league. Um, Elon Musk hangs out with Rupert Murdoch a lot lately, a lot. Uh, especially during the acquisition of this deal. Um, there's an enormous amount of overlap there because that's where the cash is. And, you know, ultimately when you're an ends justify the means person, I don't think it's a conspiracy to, uh, to, you know, I don't, there's obviously, I won't conjecture, but what I can say confidently is that he's an ends justify the means person. Um, and 
what I see right now is a lot of bad stuff happening that yeah. undermine democratic and institutional norms and instead favor authoritarians um, and uh, uh, and, and sort of a suffocation of free speech um, and a promotion of conspiracies and, uh, and an undermining of the United States. And if you're the Saudis right now, you, you know, just geopolitically, you don't want to have a full frontal attack, but you certainly don't right. want to chip away at some of these pieces. Um, and they're doing it in all these other arenas. So from a just That's an it. international affairs perspective, it actually makes sense if you look at just what their current foreign policy reorientation is to say, oh, let's give them a little nudge here. We're going to give them a little nudge on some of the oil stuff, um, because obviously we yeah. have actually, despite what the right wing media says, we have sort of our shale revolution has given us the ability to become a, quite a, an oil exporter these days. Um, yeah. Yes. And we are disrupting the market um, in a way that Indeed. is very bad for them. Like Indeed. And that's thanks to Democrats change. and Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Suddenly. And, and like, and, you know, a lot's changed. And this is this fits within their geopolitical strategy. So I don't really think it's a conspiracy to say small price to pay for an enormous amount of disruption to our to our own internal civic buttresses. And that kind of gets back uh. to where we started. Twitter did matter because it was an important yeah. part of our of our public discourse. Just amazing to think of this apartheid Nepo baby who's a millionaire at birth and, and grows up in all this privilege and, and winds up taking other people's inventions yeah. and buying them and creating more acclaim. And it's all so he can try to become Joe Rogan to do. It's true. It's can I everything. Make one he more wants point about to Twitter? be. Jo- yeah, he wants to be Joe Rogan to low wattage dude bros. They all fetishize him, you That's know, it. and so. And like, but you know, when I think about it, as bad as it is for us, the one thing I just want to note, because I feel like it's important to recognize this, is that it is disruptive for us. It's really bad for us, our society, our country. It's so much worse for Japan. One out of every two Japanese uh, adults use Twitter. It's their most, Please. it's the most yeah. prominent Twitter platform there, social media platform. Um, and so, and, and it had had, they have a lot of norms around you know, extremism, hate, you know, that kind of nasty stuff. It, it's it's chaos right now. Like there it is so much worse for for how it is disrupting the information really? ecosystem in Japan. Yeah, like they will have to make really significant changes to their daily lives as a result of what he's done in terms of uh to Twitter because of how much they rely on it as a country. One out of every example. Can you give me an example of, of what you mean about how their lives the, are disrupted? The, the aside from the fact that they use it for all kinds of public notices, like the principal m- major channel for notifications around earthquakes, local announcements, changes in services, like more right. than like when the MTA said, well, we won't tweet on, you know, we won't tweet anymore. There's like they have a million ways to do that. Apps, right? Announcements. Yeah. Like, no, like for, in Japan, there are entire infrastructure and public services that rely exclude because so many users use it it is the only mechanism by which they distribute right uh inform- critical information but then beyond that just the day-to-day consumption the prevalence and rise of trolls and extremism has spiked so dramatically in such a short period of time oh. um it's entirely unprecedented for for the country's civic discourse so hate extremism this whole new threat that they have really just have had so many antibodies against is yeah. actually causing all kinds of disruptions in in just their day to day. Why are people being nasty? And when you start to let those impulses out, like trolling is a thing in Japan now in a way that it was not one year ago. Like, yeah, it is these so, are these folks. These folks are very respectful to each other. They're noticed for that. Not, that exactly like it is actually changing the texture of what their day to day norms are like because of how much you know, it has it has been unleashed. And I so, yes, it is terrible for us and it's really bad. And um, but I 
they rely so heavily on it day to day for information for a consumption side that it is incredibly disruptive. And you notice you know, he was tweeting in Japanese just today, I think, um, because they started to roll out more community notes. Part of that is because of all the, 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 the all of the chaos damage control like, that's been happening. Yes, it's like they're like, well, let's beef up our community notes services in Japan to try to tamp down the controversies that have been spilling over on an endless basis. All new stuff. Like, you know, like when we were dealing this as a society, you know, eight years ago with like, you know, fake news and Russian trolls and all this stuff, like Japan is now going through this thing right now, which is like, why are people so mean on the internet? And um, <laughs> it is wow. like very, very disruptive to, to, to how they think about their. Um, their information, but even just their interactions with each other. And wow. it, it is kind of funny when he tweeted it in Japan, you know, Japanese today, I don't think most even American reporters were thinking like, why? They, I think they just saw whatever. But it's actually yeah. because of in response to some of the chaos that has been erupting from these Twitter controversies there. And it, it's it's real. These are real consequences. And totally it sucks that it's all just to try to be like Joe Rogan. Oh, I keep wondering if Elon Musk is a plot to make me like Mark Zuckerberg more, which is terrifying. But I, I, I will say one thing for what Zuckerberg's done with this new threads. We think about these pure right wing social media sites, Getter and Donald Trump's filth social. Yeah. And then, you know, in the wake of Twitter being corroded, we've seen these progressive like everyone's going to be nice to each other sites like Post News and Mastodon. It seems yeah. that Zuckerberg has is the first of all of these Twitter knockoffs to actually have the right and the left joining in seemingly close to equal numbers. Yeah, it's true. There, there's relative parity there, and um, and what's interesting about it is that he genuinely did not try to reinvent the wheel here for for good or for bad. Um, yeah. They basically said every rule that currently exists on Facebook, on Instagram, all of the rules, uh, they're now they're now they're now on Threads, and uh, that's it. We're not going to do anything special. We're not going to do anything new. We're not going to build any new teams around this. We're not going to try to come up with novel like sets of discourse. We're just going to literally copy and paste our terms of service over to threads. And that's it. Um, and um, and, and I, I, look, I think there's, to your point, some value in that because Facebook is, because of the scale and the types of users that they have, um, they never really, people maybe stop using it as much. Right. Um, but they they really haven't fully alienated one demographic or one ideological demographic. And, yeah. um, and I think, you know, people are probably willing to accept some enforcement now, uh, right. and some particular, you know, the devil, you know, uh, in some uh, cases, yeah, but you know, is, this is, is better I mean, than this Elon is, Musk. <laughs> Zuckerberg is helping his stock and winning liberals back before he, he starts taking massive payments from Donald Trump for campaign ads all over Facebook, Ex which is coming without a so, doubt. Yes. yes. And I think that's to your point, totally right. Angela, what's been on your radar in terms of uh, uh, corporate America in the last uh, couple of months or so? How, how are we doing this summer? I think, you know, when we think about the media and the right wing media in particular, the part that I always come back to is that it's more than just being mad at people on the Internet, at least for them, is that yeah. it is so critical a part of how they build and organize power, whether it be politically or then fuel their political power by organizing power when it used to be considered the fringes. They pull in more people you know, uh, that used to be John Birchers, for example, or would have been John right. Birchers 50 years ago, but now are like right center part of the standard political operation. It's a power mechanism. It's about power. And power affects everyone, even if you don't use it. And so they, their right-wing media can then shape other parts of our society and their good bellwethers. And you know, I, I my background is in corporate advocacy. Um, and one of the things that really struck me over the last month is you know, there was the Bud Light fight. Yeah. And then they went after Target 
right? And Target immediately pulled back all the Target, which has like been, you know, a pretty big part of the LGBT community, like uh, for a while, like very swiftly capitulated to right wing extremists. Yeah, it's um, easy. It's easy doing, to buy a par- right? easy to buy a parade float and and brag sure about how what an ally you are. But this was the year we got to see these corporations be tested. And when you see when I look around at what happened over the last month, but even a little bit before that, uh, there was a really, really fast and uh, an abrupt shift in uh, in corporate America in the advertising industry, which was up until now had a little bit of a stiffer spine when it came to some of these extremists. And I, I've seen just a meaningful shift in how they thought about um, uh, not just these capitulations, but actually where they put their money. We've seen an increase in spending from major corporations on Rumble, which is basically a cesspool of white nationalist That's extremists right. and QAnon communities. Six months ago, they refused to be on that platform. They would say, well, this is not something that we do as corporate leaders. This is not for us. Now they're there because it's a way to say, hey, we're with you. Um, and that scares me in a big way because yeah. aside from these legal fights we're losing and the rollbacks there, when you start to break some of these companies where at best they duck and cover, but at worst they start to give you money to try to shut you up, capitulate, appeal to you with the, with actual advertising dollars, so they reinforce your brands, they say, oh, yeah, we're with you. Um, that scares me for where this goes. Um, because if we're in this sort of authoritarian balancing act here, um, and every, and we see this play out with the Donald Trump stuff and how he's always threatening and the, the attacks on everyone, like this rashing up the pressure, I was disturbed by how quickly corporate America, especially the big major leaders, um, shifted their posture and position from one of a little bit of a stiffer spine and sort of a pushback against extremists to not just a neutral posture, but actual outright appeasement and capitulation. And that's scary because they're actually an important lever in in some of these social justice fights, in sort of dealing with disinformation and extremists, in sort of getting the companies that actually matter, like say the platforms to take action. If you can't get their advertisers or other corporate leaders to draw some lines, then there are no lines because they tend to be the first ones to draw it. So I, I, I for me, I got a little, obviously I take away the personal because I'm gay and I saw some of this stuff play out, but when I even I take that part out of it, just from an advocacy perspective, like a power mapping, I say, boy, yeah. this landscape is not a good landscape when it comes to the, the power imbalance right now. You know, you make me think about all of the corporate donors that said they would not donate anymore to politicians who voted to throw out our democracy in the Surely. evening of January yep. 6th. The real riot, the real thugs, the, the once the morons had left, the real terrorists took over. Uh, I mean, Hallmark said, you know, they're huge in Missouri. They said no more donations to Josh Hawley. Um, a lot of these corporations haven't stayed true to that That's pro-democracy right. pledge, have they? No, they haven't. And and that is a real to me, that is a, a, a reflection of not just sort of a, you know, a weak posture, um, a, a lot of and it wasn't just that I don't think they always intended to lie, by the way. I don't think I don't think they were lying from the beginning. I think it's easy to think that as a cynic and I am to a large extent, but a lot of these companies meant what they said at the time. But if you look at what took place, there was a very deliberate and intentional breaking of these companies. They leveraged their power, their right wing media echo chambers, their extremism, their threats. You know, sometimes most people don't. The reason we call people who fight these fights heroes is because most people aren't heroes, right? Most people don't respond to threats of violence with, fine, I'm going to continue to do the good thing. They just duck and cover. And so when you're, uh, you know, when you're like a random marketing executive having your life thrown upside down, you're like, you know what? I'll just buy the stupid ads for 10 grand and just shut the hell up and move on with my life because it's not worth it. You know, I'm not going to be Rosa Parks. You know, like I'm not, I just want to get my job, do my job, go home. Like I don't want to be a hero. And that happened. Like the, a lot of these companies 
responded to how much the norm and the line the in the Overton window had shifted that's um, right. And that's how it ties into this. And that doesn't shift without this larger right wing media echo chamber, not just churning these waters, but really distorting reality and shifting what was not acceptable into something that became acceptable to a very, very large part of of the country, which is an insurrection. And and then, of course, they respond to that that shift in demand. And it is very, very unsettling. It, as a corporate advocate, I look at the landscape right now and I say, wow, we are really in a tough spot. And um, and the way they leverage power at every level um, really does create a lot of landmines, um, but a very weak set of things to hold together our society. Things that were a little bit firmer back in 2020, um, yeah. th I would say the things that helped keep things together, th they're not as firm right now. And some of those corporate leaders that you pointed to, if there was a similar incident, would, would not speak up this time around. I agree. Uh, I mean, be before I, I let you go off into the good night, I, I began the show talking about an appearance I did earlier tonight on a cable news channel. And every other question is about Joe Biden's age or what his recovering addict son may or may not have done. I mean, we yeah. have all these indictments coming down. We yeah. <laughs> and yet the media has their narrative because the media is so desperate for a horse race. Why am I yes. seeing Mike Pence on MSNBC so much? How do you anticipate this playing out over the next year, Angelo? It seems the biggest like concern, you know, they're, yeah. they're going to they're gonna try and demonize Biden and make him out to be feeble as much as they can. And then around August of next year, get really scared that a Republican could win. Yes, they're going to basically to me, the biggest concern of all this when, I, when we saw the landscape was that because of the nature of the primaries and just the, the industries, perhaps we have a largely commercial media in, industry um, is that the right would have narrative dominance because they have a, a sort of a primary and that gives them the ability to dom dom that gives them narrative dominance. And right. um, and the media would then say, and when you have narrative dominance, what that means is that you basically set, you're becomes the editor, assignment editor. The assignment editor, a newspaper or a news outlet is super important. They get to decide what is the news and what's not. Not how it's covered is different, but they even get the, the, the biggest question, which is what are we gonna talk about, write about, spend resources on? And right now the assignment editor, and this is how I see it playing out, is actually the Republican presidential campaigns. Because they are the ones that, and, and you can see that play out almost every day in the coverage. So I, I don't right. think that the news media has adjusted their their own measurements for how they're going to make these decisions. They are still treating this like a traditional political election when yeah. very much it is not. We don't have two political parties right now. And um, yeah. I don't think they have to be, I'm not asking them to pick a side or to become Democrats. What I'm asking them to do, though, is to not engage in, in false balances, false equivalences, and to apply their professional skills uh, yeah. <laughs> to the landscape. If you went to an ER room and you just had a little bit of a bruise on your thumb and somebody was bleeding out next to you, there's a triage nurse that is like, okay, we have, there are two things here. They're both oh, injuries. Absolutely. One of them is more important than the other. I want them to triage the threats right now and they're not but an er but an er has more accountability than a corporate cable news station they and that's sure, why they sure I, do. that's that's what terrifies me the most coming up because the media's job is not to tell the truth the media's job is not to protect democracy or have an informed populace their job is ratings that's yep. their job yeah we're, we're in for it Honestly, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's gonna be a That's tough why one. I'm I'm so grateful you're there. I'm so grateful for Media Matters. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you, Angelo, and to keep up with all your doings and everything that Media Matters does? Uh, they can follow me on uh, Threads at <laughs> GoAngelo. I'm always on Twitter too, same name. But uh, but just go to MediaMatters.org, and that's probably the best place.
Right on. I will look for you on threads. I'm still on Twitter. I'm glad you're there, too. Angelo Carasone, it's always a joy having you with us. Thank you so much for classing up the joint and joining us on SiriusXM. Have a great evening. Okay, quick break. When we come back, your calls at 866-997-4748. We're done with guests. Thea's going to join us for the Minority Report in the next hour, and it's going to be your calls. Whew, let's have some fun. This is progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John saying This is Sirius XM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. It is now my great pleasure to welcome back another installment of The Minority Report with Thea Harper. Let's face facts, cause we know what's the real motives. And the land of the fence for the free lotus. Leave us dead in the street to be the organ donors. They disorganized my people, made us all loners. Still got the last names of our slave owners. And the land of the fence for the free lotus. Leave us dead in the street to be the organ donors. Theo, welcome back. I'm always so happy when we get you on the air and you can take a break from, you know, being hit on by all these awkward guys that call late at night. Welcome. Hi, John. Hi. How have you been, Miss Harper? How was your Fourth of July holiday? It was. It was. It was nice. Don't celebrate the Fourth. Um, yeah, but, I know. I know. I don't. But, I, don't know um, I do either. But yeah, but uh, it was good to spend time with family and friends. Right on. So, yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I'm. I'm very <laughs> glad to hear it. So, listen. I. I I'm really excited because uh, you sent me this article earlier that I've been wanting to talk to you about from the Root about how the climate crisis is impacting black people right now. We talk all the time about how marginalized peoples are always the ones who bear the brunt of both COVID-19 and climate change. But I, I haven't seen many articles that put all the facts in one place as, as well as this one in the root. Right, right. So, I mean, the article starts off first by mentioning um, the saying that when America catches a cold, Black folks catch pneumonia, which is very true when when talking about so many issues. And it's uh, especially true when we talk about uh, the climate crisis. And last last Wednesday, there was a storm um, system that tore through the western and central United States, um, generating at least 11 tornadoes, including six in Colorado three in Texas and one one in Wyoming and one in Nebraska. Um, and one of those tornadoes hit um, a small town uh, in Texas called Matador. Um, and I mean, and really 
you know, devastated that small community. And, um, you know, at least nine were injured and four were dead. My God. I mean, 571 people live in this town. And yeah, it just laid waste, but it seems like it's always, you know, the same communities in Tornado Alley are the same communities built near the power lines are the same communities that are just more affected when there's a derailment and chemicals are spilled all over the place. Isn't it always the same? Yeah, it's true. Um, And the article, you know, talks about, you know, that increased flooding will cost uh, the United States forty billion dollars annually by twenty fifty by twenty fifty, um, which is God. a twenty six percent increase from today. So we know that the black community will be hit worse and would have a hard time trying to uh, recover consistently. Consistently, mm-hmm. that's always it's always the case. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you know, I mean, we look at what we've seen in Georgia with 15 inches of rain and flash flooding or in Florida with these, you know, 82 mile per hour wind gusts or what's been happening with uh, the the hail five inches in diameter falling in Mississippi. And consistently, mm-hmm. you know, the it's not happening in wealthy communities. And it's not like nature likes the wealthy communities and hates the poor communities. It just seems to be that. Certain communities are put in the more dangerous areas, almost as if it's by design. It brings right. me back to, to Hurricane to Hurricane uh, Katrina. That that's correct. Um, you know, there's also Key Islands, where we know that Black folks are forty forty percent more likely to live in uh, Key Islands, where the threat of heat death is the highest. Um, also, low income and minority families are 50 percent more likely to live near busy roads and highways where the air quality is um, is worse. And Jeez. more than half of Black Americans live in the South, where more frequent, more frequent and stronger storms like Hurricane Ida um, really uh, leave our communities devastated. And um, also, there was there are studies that show that heat, extreme cold, uh, hurricanes, flooding, and wildfires uh, that, that find evidence that Black people, Black and Brown communities are are higher risk of climate related health impacts um, than White people. Really? And studies have found that the racial disparities related to climate change are linked to high high mortality respiratory and cardiovascular disease, mental health, and heat-related illness in the Black community. I mean, it's all so much preventable suffering. And and I think my favorite line in this whole piece in The Root is, we know that our lives are on the line and that green issues are Black issues too. Right. Well, I was going to ask you about Dream Corps' uh, Green for All investment plan, what what they're trying to do. Yes. Uh, and that's actually actually what I was just about to say. Oh, nice. Um, this reminds me of like what Biden was trying to do with the infrastructure plan. But but go ahead. Right. So um, the uh, the dream for uh, green for all uh, is investing 15 billion dollars to replace lead water lines in black and brown communities across America. Um, and also the article touches on the importance of uh uh, Biden's support and mission to protect our environment with the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which is probably the most um, significant climate legislation in American history, um, investing a record of $369 billion to fight the climate crisis. Um, it creates groundbreaking new programs and incentives that not only help us cut pollution in half, but creates an ex- um, exciting new climate economy 
um, that will also uh, create more jobs and um, and careers. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is amazing. I, I found the piece to be so inspiring by the end. Um, yeah. Let me let me quote the piece. It's a welcome bit of sunshine after the storm. It's proof positive when the NAACP declared environmental and climate justice is a civil rights issue. President Biden wasn't just listening. He took action. Do you agree, Thea? Yeah, I do agree, Um, because, you know, once these, um, you know, these catastrophes happen, take place it. And when it's time to rebuild, you know, for black and black, black and brown communities, it's harder to do because these are the communities that we are talking about that are that are already at a disadvantage. That's so right. um, I, I think that's why it's so crucial to have, uh, you know, programs like uh, like the Dream Corps and the Infl- Inflation Reduction Act, because these are opportunities to invest in our communities and ensure that, you know, they are protected in case a disaster does happen and will, of course, save lives as well. So then is it just a coincidence that the same people who reject climate science also don't care about poverty and aren't too upset about racism yes (laughs) (laughs) oh my god thea i love you i love working with you and i love the articles that you bring to us and the stories you bring to this show this is a piece again in the root it's called how the climate crisis is impacting black people i'm going to share this on all my social media uh it's the stuff we always talk about but i've rarely seen a piece that puts it all in one place thank you so much thank you john I work with the best people, and, and, and I work with Chris, too. Hey. Thank you, Thea. 